If you have been uh, following the news really at all this past week, uh, you'll know that one of the big stories that's been going on is, of course, the cathedral in our cathedral in Paris, that is Notre Dame, right? You may have seen some of the videos. Uh, I think it was even live streamed for a little bit of the roof of Notre Dame actually burning down. I don't know if you saw any of the uh, news articles or some of the pictures that they took of some of the destruction, but I mean, it looked almost like a bomb had gone off in this church, right? The, the, the one steeple came crashing down. The roof kind of is, you know, on the floor at the bottom of this cathedral. And it's, it's been interesting to watch. Uh, not, not just the, this building burn, that, that's not really what I mean. I mean the aftermath of what's come afterwards. It's been interesting to watch how people have responded to this destruction because it seems sometimes so, so senseless, so, so hopeless, right? Because you're, we're watching something of such beauty, such historic importance and significance for, for really no reason suddenly come burning down. And so if your Facebook page was anything like mine, it was filled with people who were posting pictures of themselves by the cathedral before it burned down and people offering all sorts of prayers and condolences and people really just just mourning over the loss of this building. And really when you think about it, that's really what it is. Sad to say, but buildings do burn all the time and yet this one we kind of looked at and said there's something more significant about it. There's something more significant about this historically beautiful, significant building being destroyed. We almost mourn for it because whenever something of beauty is taken away, whenever something like that happens, we we tend to step back and say that that shouldn't be the case. We don't want that to be the case when something that beautiful is destroyed. And so the question that everyone was asking as soon as this happened is, are they going to rebuild it? Is it going to get fixed? And you might know there was already pledged, I think something like 700 million euros that these very, very wealthy Frenchmen said, no, we will pledge this money to rebuild this cathedral, right? Because the first response to something tragic like that happening is always the question, is it going to be restored? Is there any hope coming up? It's the natural response we have whenever we see something like that happen. It's the same response we say or we see in our own lives, right? As we go through various periods of trial, of difficulty, whatever we happen to be going through, we see that same reaction in our own lives, don't we? We see something happen, something go wrong, and immediately we ask, but is there hope? Is it going to get fixed? Is it possible for this to be changed, to be reversed? Right? Whatever we are going through, we can ask, or we can give a lot of different examples. Right? Relationships get strained. We saw a beautiful picture of that in the video. Right? Relationships strain, even break. Dreams we have, suddenly we come to the realization they're not going to happen. Or when the doctor comes and he has bad news. Right? There's always the question of, well, well, what is my hope? Is it possible for this to be turned around? See, whenever you're diagnosed with an illness, doctors usually tell you what your chances are. What are your chances of beating it? Because that's the first thing we want to know. What's my hope look like? How much hope do I have in this situation? And so we're always looking, where is it possible that there is going to be hope? 
The challenge we find is that so often we, we place our hope in the wrong spot, right? We start placing our hope in things that, that can't actually bring us anything, that can't actually deliver, right? We start hoping in things like our children. They're going to achieve all the dreams I didn't. Like it's not wrong to have hopes for your children, but they can't be the conduits in which we expect all of our dreams to come true. That's not feasible. They're going to let you down, Right? We place our hopes in the fact that, well, I have enough money to get me through this hard time. I have enough to cover me. It's going to be okay. But the truth is, there's lots of things money just cannot fix. Right? We place our hopes in, in counselors, in systems to be able to, to fix all of the problems in our relationships, but, but even to the best of their abilities, sometimes they also can't help. We've all had a hope that didn't pan out. We've all had a hope that didn't quite work the way we thought it would. And so the question is then, where do we place our hope? See, that's really the message of Easter morning. Easter is all about the hope that we have in what God has done. It's the message of hope that in the middle of chaos and destruction and death, God can bring life. That Jesus actually got up out of the tomb, that he didn't stay dead, that there is a greater hope that is coming. And so this morning, what I want us to do is we're going to look at a passage. If you have a Bible, you can open to 1 Peter chapter 3. Or, sorry, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. That's where we're going. If not, it'll be on the, it'll be on the screen behind me. But Peter is one of Jesus' disciples. He followed Jesus for a number of years. He was there when Jesus was crucified, and he saw Jesus after he rose. A number of years later, after that first Easter morning, Peter writes this letter, and he writes it to churches in order to encourage them, and this is how he begins his letter. So we're going to start in verse 3, and we're going to look at what he has to say. This is what the Word of God says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. As far as we're going to read this morning, would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Father, we are humbled by the fact that you give us hope even in the midst of death, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of beauty destroyed. Lord, you bring forth life. So, Father, this morning as we spend time to consider what Jesus has done, as we consider the salvation that he has given to us, as we consider the hope that we have in you. Lord, I pray, would you be at work in our lives? Might this not be just another Sunday morning? Would this not be another holiday that we pass through, but would this be a time of rejoicing over what you have done? Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. 
Well, this morning, we, we're going to really do what, what we normally do here at Central, and that is we, we pick a passage, we work through it, and that is we, we try and make sure we understand what the text is saying, and then what we try and do is simply just say, how does that apply to our lives? So that's what we're going to do this morning with the passage that we've just read and it's not a particularly long passage, which is nice. It's not, uh, you know, a whole chapter's worth or anything like that, but, but it is dense, right? Peter packs in a lot into two little verses. And so before we even go any further, let me just kind of block out what Peter is saying, what his main message is. Essentially, he starts off, and he starts off in this praise, in this worship, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts off in worship, and then he sort of backs up and says, but here's the reason why. It's because God had mercy on us and has given us this living hope. And he says that living hope is ours because of Jesus' resurrection, because he rose from the grave. And so this morning, what I want us to do is work through that, what Peter is talking about, but we're going to do it backwards, all right? We're going to do it the reverse order that Peter just laid it out. We're going to start with the death of Jesus, then talk about the resurrection, and then the hope that we have. I think that just makes more sense in terms of the flow of Easter morning. And so that's what we're going to do, and that's where we're going to uh, we're going to start with the death of Jesus. If we're going to understand his resurrection, if we're going to understand this hope, we've got to understand why is it he died. We've got to start really with, with the bad news before we can get to the good news. Now, a, a number of you, I'm sure, are going to be familiar with the story of, of Jesus' life, of how he sort of worked throughout his ministry. You, you'll know that he kind of starts off in northern Israel, and he's starting off pretty quiet, Right? He starts gathering disciples, these, these fishermen, these tax collectors, people around his hometown, and, and he starts calling them, okay, follow after me, and I'm going to start teaching you. But, but really fast, people start paying attention, right? Suddenly, people are, it's growing, people are following after, they're chasing after him all the way out in the middle of nowhere, they're trying to find him, because he keeps on doing all of these amazing things. Everywhere he goes, suddenly, crippled people are, are walking, blind are seeing, deaf are hearing, and even those with diseases are being healed, and everyone is going, we gotta pay attention, what is this guy all about? And so as he starts to teach the crowds and teach his disciples, we we see he starts telling them he has come to bring forgiveness of their sins. Now, now we need to realize how, how massive a, a comment that is for him to make. See, sin is, is all, the, all, the, all the bad things that we have done, right? It's all, all the lies we've told, all the gossip that we've spread, all of the, the anger, all the, the fiery comments we've given, all the things we've stolen just kind of on the sly, and all the, all the bad things we've done. But in fact, the Bible tells us it's, it's more than just that, that actually sin is against God himself, that it's, it's rebellion against what God calls us to do, who he calls us to be. It's a rejection of his authority over us, that he would actually create us and has given us a purpose, and sin is the rejection of all that. But see, here's why that's important. See, if sin is primarily against God, what gives Jesus the right to say he can forgive them? See, imagine if you had a friend and you got into this argument with your friend, and uh, in the heat of the moment, you kind of just go off, 
right? You kind of forget the argument altogether and you're just trying to tear them down. You're calling them names. You're going after them. And afterwards, you think to yourself, as kind of all the emotions calm down, you're like, oh, I really shouldn't have done that. Oh, I feel horrible. Shouldn't have gone there. Shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. I, I got to go apologize. And then I walk up to you and I say, it's okay. I forgive you. You'd look at me and you'd go, okay. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I didn't sin against you, so, so why are you walking up to me? I don't need your forgiveness. It doesn't work like that. You can't forgive me for him. And actually, that's exactly the point Jesus is making. It's exactly what he is saying. He's not coming in and saying, I can forgive you instead of God. He's saying, I can forgive you as God. And see, that's why people started getting really upset. See, people started getting really upset, not simply because he said, I can forgive sins, because, or he said, because he said, I can forgive sins as God. And so as he starts and continues to teach, there's more and more conflict growing between him and some of the, the religious leaders at the time. They don't like what he is saying. And so you can see this conflict growing and growing throughout his ministry until finally you get to Good Friday. And, and they've had enough of Jesus. They've had enough of the, the sly approach. They're going to go after him head on. And so they convince one of his disciples to betray him, Judas. And Judas betrays him. Jesus is arrested in the middle of the night, taken to a court, which is just a mockery of a trial. False witnesses come forward. All their stories are conflicting, but they still convict him in the end. They hand him over to the Romans, and the Romans look and they say, why should we put this guy to death? And the answer was, we'll riot until you do. And so the Romans take him and they put him to death. They beat him. They mock him. They whip him. Drove a crown of thorns into his skull. All before putting nails through his wrists and feet and pinning him to a board and hanging him up to die. See, we can, when you consider it, Good Friday is pretty awful. Jesus is put to death. In fact, it is the picture of someone who, who hadn't sinned. It's the picture of someone who hadn't done anything wrong and yet was put to death. It's the ultimate picture of beauty being destroyed. But as Jesus hangs on the cross, some of his final words are a prayer. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. See, while Jesus is hanging on the cross, he's praying for the forgiveness of those in front of him. It was the reason he was on the cross in the first place. See, it wasn't just bad luck that brought Jesus to the cross. It wasn't just coincidence. It wasn't just what happens when new leaders try and challenge the system. He was there because it was the plan of God from the very beginning that he would die for the forgiveness of sin. See, the Bible tells us that, in fact, every single person has sinned. We've all fallen short of God's standard. We've all rebelled against him. And, and you can look at your own life. Just think of the last 24, 48 hours 
You can think of all the things that, that sometimes keep us up at night, the things we're not proud of that we've done, that we've said, that we have uh, hurt other people. But the Bible says something else. Not only has everyone sinned, but that the wages, that the punishment, that the payment for sin is death. That there is a punishment for sin, and so Jesus comes as God himself. One who never sinned, never did anything wrong, never failed to meet God's perfect standard, and he dies instead of us. Instead of us taking on that, that punishment, that penalty for our sins, Jesus dies in our place. Let me give you an example. When I was around 10 years old, uh, my parents had just moved uh, to Surrey. We moved from Abbotsford to Surrey, and it was uh, near summertime, and I was kind of bored. I didn't know anybody there. We were new. School hadn't started, so I'm bored. I'm a bored 10-year-old, and so I started searching around our garage, and I found an old baseball bat. Now, it is never a good idea for a 10-year-old, a bored 10-year-old, to find a baseball bat, but that's what I did. And so I went out into the front yard and I decided it would be a great idea to grab some of the rocks from the front garden and hit them across the road into the trees. What could go wrong here, right? I, I had no idea that this might be a problem. Well, sure enough, I start hitting rocks across the road and it's going fine until finally I throw one up, I hit it, and it shoots straight up in the air. And as it goes up into the air, suddenly a car comes and drives, comes to a complete stop outside of my parents' front lawn as the rock comes sailing down and with a loud bang, dents in the hood of their car. And the driver stops, gets out, looks at his car with this massive dent, and then looks over at me, stunned with a baseball bat in my hand. It didn't take much for him to put two and two together. And so I'm a 10-year-old, and I am looking at this and thinking, that is expensive. Whatever that is going to be, it is way more expensive than anything I can pay for. So what do you think happened? Well, my parents came out hearing a bang came outside, looked and saw what happened, and they talked with this man. He was actually very gracious, but they paid for it. I, I didn't pay for it. I couldn't pay for it. I had no way. I didn't even have a paper route at that time. I, I had nothing to give. My parents stepped in, and they paid for what I had done. See, that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's paying a punishment. He's paying a penalty for a crime he didn't commit, but we did instead. He's paying for what we had no ability to pay for, but he could. But instead of just paying money, actually Jesus paid with his own life. You might say, why on earth would he do that? Why on earth would God send Jesus for that very purpose? And Peter actually has already given us the answer. It's according to his great mercy. 
According to the mercy of God, of the love of God for us, he sent Jesus to pay the penalty, to take the punishment for what he hadn't done, but for what we had done, so that anyone who would trust in him would be saved. See, that's why Jesus came. That is what is so good about Good Friday. It's because it is the time when our sins were paid for in full. The death of Jesus paid for our sins so we can be forgiven. Finally, completely in our place, so we had a hope when we stand before God so that we would have a hope that we could be with God, that we would no longer be be separated from him, be alienated from God, but rather the debt between us has been repaid. We have been forgiven. See, the death of Jesus gives us hope. But if you look back at our text in Peter He's actually not just talking about the death of Jesus. In fact, more specifically, he's looking at the the resurrection of Jesus and saying that is where we have our hope. That is why we have a hope for the future. It's given by the resurrection. Peter says we have a living hope, not a dead hope. Jesus didn't stay in the ground. He didn't stay dead. He rose again. And I know whenever we hear that kind of language, it's tempting to almost start thinking like this is just a Marvel movie, right? If you've watched any of the Marvel movies, you know at this point, most of the characters are dead, but there's another movie, so they're probably not going to stay dead very long. And so it's tempting to almost think about this story like, you know what, hey, it's just like that. It's kind of a, a fantasy. It's, it's a nice story, but it didn't really happen. But actually, the truth of it is the Bible says this did really happen. Jesus actually did die, and he actually did rise again. And we could talk about all the reasons there are to actually believe this. We could talk about the fact that when the disciples started telling others about Jesus and telling others he actually rose from the dead, they did that in Jerusalem. That's the very city where they had just crucified him. They even talked to the very people who led that campaign against him and said, Jesus rose again. The guy you put to death, he actually is alive. And the amazing thing is as much opposition as they had, no one ever said, yeah, but here's his body. Because the tomb was empty. In fact, it's interesting that none of the disciples, as they go on, they continue to preach this good news that Jesus rose again. And yet, if it was all a lie, why would they give up everything? Why would they give up their homes, their comfort, their safety, sometimes even their their families, in order to tell others about Jesus rising if it didn't really happen? You don't give up your life You don't go through torture for a lie. They didn't even make money doing it. They didn't gain power, prestige, nothing. And yet not one of them ever went back. Not one of them ever recanted their story or said they all made it up. They told everyone exactly what had happened. Jesus rose again. But the truth is the the resurrection is more than just a historical fact. It's a reason we have to rejoice today. See, 
Peter says, or sorry, uh, <laughs> yes, the resurrection of Jesus is a reason for us to rejoice. See, anyone can claim to be God, right? It's easy to brag. It's not hard to just kind of make up stories and say, yep, I, I can do that. I can forgive sins. My death is going to pay for everything. But it's really hard to actually back that up, isn't it? Right, people can brag all the time. They can tell you about all the money that they are making, but as soon as you see their bank account, you realize they are cripplingly in debt. They're bragging and the reality doesn't match up. And yet Jesus comes and he says, actually, I can forgive your sins. I can pay that penalty fully for you. And here's the proof. I'm going to rise back to life. I'm actually going to stand up again after the death has fully been paid. I'm going to stand up again. Here's the confirmation that what I said was true. See, if the penalty was sin, Jesus paid it. There was no reason for him to stay dead any longer. And so Peter says that is why we have this hope. It's because Jesus actually puts an end to sin and death and destruction and all of the chaos that sin has brought into this world. Jesus gives us the hope of a new life. That there is something greater still coming up. The future doesn't contain all the mess and destruction of sin. Peter says it causes us to be born again. Now, I know that that sometimes is a really, like, weird churchy word that we use, to be born again, and sometimes it does get used really weird. What Peter here is meaning is that when we come to Jesus in faith, when we confess our sins, when we turn away from them, when we trust in him, it changes our lives so radically. It's as if we have a whole new life. It's as if we have been born again. See, Jesus rises from the grave to tell us that sin actually doesn't have dominion any longer, so we no longer have to serve all of our sin natures and tendencies that have kept us enchained, kept us addicted to all of these things that actually cause our hurt. Instead of a heart that is filled with, with anger, with jealousy, with lust, transforms our heart. Instead of anger, we have peace. Instead of jealousy, we have joy. Instead of lust, we have genuine love. Now, this isn't an instant process that as soon as you become a Christian, all of this is true. No, it's, it's, a, pro, it's, a, it's a process we work through, right? It's something we continually struggle with. It's as if the war has already been decided, but there are still skirmishes left. We live in a time of tension, but the truth is we have a hope that goes beyond this. We have a hope that goes beyond all of the skirmishes till one day we will be done with it forever. Peter says we have a living hope. Verse 3 says, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Peter says this is the hope we have. It's given to us in the death of Jesus who paid for our sins. It is resurrection which confirms that it was enough and that there is a new life coming. We have a hope of eternal life with him. 
where there is no longer any suffering, no longer any sickness, no longer any pain, no longer in a world that is racked by sin and death. There will be a time when death is in the past tense. Peter says this is a living hope. It is without end. It cannot be tampered with and it will not dull. It is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. There is nothing that can take it away from us. It's the reason the disciples weren't afraid to give up their very lives. It's the reason they could go into some pretty horrific times and still with the confidence that they were secure in what Jesus had done. That though everything in this life could be taken away from them, this hope would never leave. See, Peter goes on to talk in this letter. And he goes on to encourage these churches, these Christians who are reading this letter. And he says, there is that same hope for you. That you will have this hope that does not that is not moved at any point, no matter what you are going through, no matter what the trial, no matter what tough patch you happen to be going through, whether that's, a, whether that's a season or a year or years, there is nothing that can happen that can take away the hope of eternal life in Jesus. In fact, Peter just emphasizes it and says, it's being kept in heaven for you. God himself will guard this for you. You have nothing to be afraid of. That is the hope of Easter. The hope of Easter is that we have an eternal life in Jesus Christ that cannot be taken away. That until our very last breath will be with us, and then it won't be lost, it will be fulfilled. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege, experience, of sitting beside someone as they die. It's an interesting thing to do so. I, I was with my wife's grandpa. He had had a massive stroke major brain damage, there was no coming back. And so we gathered in the hospital room as he passed away. He passed away knowing Jesus Christ. And so it was an amazing experience to sit there and realize that we weren't so much as losing him as he was losing all of the pain, all of the trials, all of the suffering he had been going through for years, he was losing all of that and gaining all of glory. If you've ever talked to some mature Christians as they die, it's an amazing thing to see where they don't pray that God would save them, they pray that God would take them because all that they would have is gain. Do you know Jesus like that? Do you have that kind of hope? This morning as we close, I'll invite the worship team to make their way forward again. But as they do, let me ask you this question. Do you know the Jesus who died in your place? Do you trust in his resurrection from the dead to give you a living hope for eternal life? I, I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you just walked in because it's Easter 
and it seems like church is a good idea. Maybe you're listening to all this and you're thinking, I'm not sure there is a God, let alone all this other stuff that you are talking about. And honestly, let me say, I'm glad you're here. I'd love to continue to talk with you, to, to explore all of this together. But let me say this. I think there's a reason you're here this morning. I don't think it's an accident that you are here. I think God is trying to get a hold of you. He sent Jesus here to pay for our sins so that we could know him. I think God's trying to get a hold of your life. Maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking, well, I mean, that's, that's all great. It's all fine and nice, but that might be forgiveness for nice folks, but I'm not sure about me. Let me just say, this salvation, this forgiveness, this living hope is open to everyone who would believe. There is no sinner that Jesus cannot forgive. Paul, another one of the writers in the Bible, this is what he says. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart one believes and is justified, forgiven. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. See, the requirements aren't you're good enough to come to Jesus. It's that Jesus loved you enough to come to you. Would you place your trust in him? Turn away from your sins, from the things that are causing you harm, and turn to Jesus for your forgiveness, for your salvation. God sent Jesus. When we were still sinners, he so loved us to pay a penalty that we could not pay. The good news is Jesus paid it all. Believe that his death and resurrection are our only hope for the future. Maybe God today is working in your heart. Let me encourage you, don't, don't let today just pass you by. Don't let this just be another day, another weekend, another holiday where we go off and we eat food and we celebrate with family or we just enjoy the nice sunny day. All of those are good things, but today... Would you come to know the Savior who died for you? Would you come to believe in his resurrection? Would you know his salvation? Trust in him today. Maybe you're here and you're saying, I have placed my faith in Jesus. You have this hope. Let me encourage you. Would you have the same response as Peter? Praise God. Worship him. Tell others about the good news of a God who so loved this world that he sent his only son so that anyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. See, that's what Easter is about. It's a day of joy. It's a day of celebration. It's a reminder of new life. Jesus rose from the grave. Let us never be the same again. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that you loved us when we didn't love you. While we were sinners, while we were far away from you, you sent Jesus to die in our place. Father, I pray, do not let us leave until we deal with you, until we trust in your good news of what Jesus has done. 
Father, make us glad. May we worship you truly, genuinely, with hearts full of thanksgiving for what you have done with the joy of Easter morning, knowing that you have secured for us an eternal living hope that will never disappoint. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Lord, change our lives today. Amen.